Teresa, you're back. This is the second time officially that you're here co-hosting with me. I know. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me back. So for today, we have three, two topics. We've got, you wanted to talk a little bit about sleep, the phenomenon of sleep and why we sleep. And I'm reading a book right now that really speaks to this. So it's timely in that, in that sense. So we're going to talk also about positivity and, and how negative people can rub off on us. And you had a recent experience that you wanted to share. And I think you were also calling it 2.0, which uh, we can dig into what that's all about. I've been doing a, a 2.0 exercise myself that I would love to share a little bit about that. And then as usual, we will conclude with an odd, weird or strange news story. Sounds good to me. I'm excited. Let's talk about the sleep thing. So what what got you thinking about this as a topic for us to talk about? So I was, as I was, this, this is really recent, like probably like three to four nights ago, and I was going to bed and I was exhausted. It's been, it's been fairly busy at work recently and just, you know, busy in general. And I went to bed and I, by the way, I had downloaded the Calm app recently. So I've been listening to the Calm app has good night stories. So I'm listening to that. But whilst I'm listening to that, I also keep thinking like how it sent me down this spiral. I was thinking how funny it is that we're so advanced as human beings. We, you know, we can transplant hearts. We can, you know, we're in a good way of path of, of, uh, curing cancer, perhaps we've traveled to the moon, we've sent missions to Mars, etc. Um, but every human being on this earth, and there are so many of us, we have to go to our little battery charger every night. Um, I guess the longest you could stay awake is like sort of like what 36, 42 hours. There's been experiments around that. But, you know, usually you'll crawl to bed every night at some point 10 o'clock 11 o'clock midnight whatever it is and you cannot do without you're going to perish or you're going to pass out at some point of time and every human being has to do that and it just it's such a long time as well right we on average need perhaps seven hours i guess there's people who need only four but you have you still have to go through this you're in a coma you're going god knows where your brain is doing all sorts of funny things your body is repairing so it has its cause, but it's interesting that that is a good chunk of your 24 hours. And it sent me down this spiral that that is what every human being and every animal has to do every day. Yeah, it's interesting. So in the book I'm reading, they talk about how humans are the only animal that actually deprives itself of sleep with no positive benefit. And I think I interpret that to mean that it's the only animal that actually purposely deprives itself of, of sleep. Um, and I think that's interesting because there's been actually a lot of, there hasn't, sorry, I should say there hasn't been a lot of research until recently about even why we sleep and what right. what happens. And the whole sleep thing has become like, a real, they hate to use the term now, but it's kind of an epidemic that actually is something that humans are suffering from. It's lack of sleep. If you look at some statistics, it says that one person dies in a traffic accident every hour in the United States due to fatigue-related error. Right. Apparently, drowsy driving exceeds accidents 
caused by alcohol and drugs combined. So any accidents related to drugs or alcohol, add them all up, they still are less than the amount of people that die due to fatigue-related vehicular accidents. I'm not surprised to hear that. Actually, just comes up. Have you ever... It seems people are so proud of also saying, I'm so tired, or I've only just slept four hours. You might have spoken about this in an episode um, with Simon a couple of months back when you spoke. That was the bit. That was the busy, the busy bit. wearing busy like a badge of badge of honor. Yeah, <laughs> which is one of the episodes I I had some disagreements with personally. But no, people, you know, I'm being so tired. I only slept four hours, and here I still am buzzing. And, and going is it's it's another badge of honor. Oh, I've worked so late, and I it's almost like it turns into a competition. Um, mm -hmm. I can see that currently happening at at my current workplace, where you know you want to be seen online fairly late. Um, bothers me a little bit, and it's not like you said. It's not you know. It's not like you're gonna unless you are somebody that is really active, and some people. Sometimes, including myself, I have my best ideas, especially on an innovative, when I have to do some innovative task, and that's when I'm getting the best at. Um, but there is no point of, you know, dragging it out and, and keeping awake beyond what your body is telling you to do. Well, and it's interesting because sleep, you're right, it is kind of seen as a weakness, especially when it comes to things like napping, like if you told somebody that you had a nap from three to four o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, like if you told a coworker that or someone that you were like a client, I would imagine that the that could receive some of a negative reaction for that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I. That's how I feel about it. That it that you would feel negative about it, or you would feel that that's a good. I thing? I feel negative about it. I have. Um, I rarely ever get tired in the afternoon. I mean, it has happened to me, but I do have friends who proudly nap and it kind of bothers me. Mm. <laughs> so like, I know I'm, what I'm saying is I'm kind of contradicting myself. You know, I'm saying, oh, sleep is healthy. You should not be ashamed of sleeping and using all of the hours that you can, if that's what you like. The napping bit you know, maybe, maybe I have nap jealousy. Maybe that is that because when I mm. nap, it's, it's, I'm just not, I can't be used. I, I wake up from a nap, let it be an hour and I need at least another hour to be fully clear and at, you know, happy again. Other than that, I'm just, I don't feel well and I feel like I've been run over by a truck. So I envy people who can have that hour or 45 minutes and then, be really energized. They're just like, oh, here I am back at work and I'm feeling great. I can go another 24 hours now, basically. So snap jealousy, perhaps. So nap jealousy because you don't get the positive effects that some people get when they nap. Is what you mean? Yeah, I guess so. Maybe I do have them. I mean, my body must be thankful for, for a nap rest if it gets that. But what I hate is what I am feeling. So I wake up and I feel like, hot garbage. Yeah, this book actually has a chapter on napping or a section about napping. I haven't got to it yet, but I'm interested to read about the effects of napping. What I know about napping is that 
it can affect people in different ways, absolutely. But there's some discussion around how long you nap for, like 20 yeah. minutes. 20 minutes is a good nap time or 90 minutes. But anything in between that is supposedly really bad. Like you, you have a higher chance of those two durations apparently have the best potential results for napping. It's kind of both are very different. One's very short and one's longer, but anything in between or longer, I guess, has attended some very negative effects. So I personally, when I nap, I have a few rules for it. I've kind of followed that 20 minute, 90 minute thing. And I still wake up with different effects. Sometimes I feel like you said hot garbage, I think it was. Um, <laughs> it's a, My wife refers to it as a sort of a stunned feeling. It's kind of like right. you're out of sorts and you're sort yeah, of like, huh? Yeah, kind like, of zoned out. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to read about this a little bit more in the book to see if they talk about the duration and, and how napping, maybe, maybe they're going to say it's a bad thing. But I suspect some, like some offices are starting to put these little napping pods into... When we were looking at retrofitting our office, the there were suggestions that came in. People had put different suggestions in, you know, a vending machine or a fridge for, for various things or just different ideas that had come up. And one of them was these napping pods. And so I guess it was reviewed and it never went forward, I think, because it wouldn't fit the standard of the whole company, which it needs to. But it's interesting that napping pods were something that somebody was suggesting and i was like that'd be kind of cool they look like hair dryers you know when you go to the salon and you sit under right. one of those big so it <laughs> blocks your face all right uh, so it wasn't something you could crawl into it wasn't like a little casket and no it was like more like a <laughs> dental chair that you could um sit in and then it had like this kind of like thing that went over your head so like that people so you could have like multiple chairs in, in a room. So you might have like 12 chairs or six chairs. Right. And you could go in the room would probably be, you know, dimly lit and just have an, uh, I guess, whatever would be conducive to napping. And that mm-hmm. you would have the privacy aspect of these pods or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll find the pods and put them in the show notes so people can see what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, I think there is a negative. I think napping does get a negative rap and I think unfairly so. Um, so I think, you know, especially now with people are kind of working in different ways too, right? Like you, people, some people are starting their days at seven in the morning and then they take breaks and what's wrong with taking a break between two thirty and three thirty to have a nap if that, if that makes you more effective. Yep. I, I agree. There's also a strategy, um, that consists of, so you're not getting, one patch of sleep per day, but you're taking basically four patches. Um, so the average sleep amount of time is what, eight hours. So instead of doing that, you only, you do four times one hour. Um, it's, mm-hmm. um, I hear that some athletes have tried doing that in order to increase the time they can be active and train or managers. So they have more time to, be awake and and actually work. So four times per day, you take an hour and a half. So you bring down your total sleep time, but mm. the um, the time that your body has to recover, like it it almost thinks it's the same, 
but I don't know what the what the studies around that is and whether that is actually true. There was some I remember watching a, a YouTube clip around that um quite a while back where somebody has tried it and they're like, God, it was awful. Like I did it for a week and it was just really, really, really horrible. I mean, I was awake in the middle of the night and getting work done and then I'd go back to sleep and I'd sleep during mm. the day. So it was like almost like a kangaroo sort of rhythm. Yeah, I'd be interested to see this 90 minute study and how that what that means because does that work for everybody does it only work for some people to me the whole idea of going to bed and getting up four times in a day is just sounds really messed up to me yeah i could say so much more about this um we can i mean i'm I'm listening also to this this podcast what this this calm history um about the science of sleep by a guy called Dr. Steve Orma. And he goes mm -hmm. on to say that, you know, just like your hair color is different, your blood type is different, your eye color is different, so is everybody's sleep pattern. Seven hours is the anticipated average, but it is yeah. it is really spread all over and, and everybody sleeps different, behaves differently. Mm. Um, what he says is there's like almost social pressure also the other way. So, well, there's social pressure of not sleeping enough because um, you're cool if you sleep little but then he also says we're putting ourselves under pressure if we do not get that sleep right we all know that moment when we're lying awake we're like god i gotta go to sleep now you know i won't be i'll be tired tomorrow so contrary to what you say to um, fatigue um, caused accidents um, around the world he says don't worry about it. If you're lying awake at night and you, you cannot get yourself to sleep mode, just get up, do something else. Don't put yourself under pressure to fall asleep. Even if you only get three hours, you're going to be just fine. Um, probably less, you know, if you're operating heavy machinery, if you're a pilot, if you're a doctor, that is probably going to be more risky. But people mm -hmm. like me and you in an office environment where we also stress so much about doing a good job daily and you know shining and and being great about everything don't stress so much about it you know relax about it you're you're gonna go through the day and your body will try and recoup it the next night and i think that's that has helped me recently since i've been listening to that and i've been listening yeah. over to it over and over again like that has really helped me that's interesting yeah, the one of the things I read in this book was that the apparently insufficient sleep is a key lifestyle factor determining whether or not you will develop Alzheimer's disease. Oh, geez. Like, that and is, I, I thought that's more genetic, but I guess so if you're genetically prone, then a lack of sleep or having wrong sleep patterns can trigger that e more easily. That's probably what it says. Yeah, I think there's probably, you are, could be genetically prone to it, but then there are lifestyle factors that can contribute to maybe the when it comes or how bad it is. And one of the key lifestyle factors is the lack of sleep, not getting enough sleep. Right. The other thing is that the chances of overeating go up when you get when you don't get sufficient sleep. So it says, "Oh yeah, too little sleep swells concentrations of a hormone that makes you feel hungry while suppressing a companion hormone that otherwise 
signals food satisfaction. So despite mm-hmm. being full, you still want to, to eat more. Um, it's a proven recipe for weight gain and sleep deficient adults and children alike. So, yeah, it's a big topic. And it is one of the things when I look at, you know, we, we're going to talk about 2.0 a little bit later. It is one of the things that I think underpins for me what is going to be required or what is required for me to be able to be a better version of myself sleep is definitely involved there like for me to be able to achieve that i've got to make sleep a much bigger priority so you have a product that you wanted to share that you're currently enjoying the use of what 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 product is yep. that um i mean you you're currently looking at me and you're probably well she looks using the word hot garbage again but i've been using (laughs) but that's but that's also because it's sort of like early morning i've been sitting out in the sun so i'm probably my face is reddened however i'm using a really nice retinol product and i've only just started discovering retinol which is um what is what retinol it's a retinol yeah it's a it's compound, I guess, and it's so you can have a different strengths of them. It's it's a cream for your skin, and I've been using the Inky List um, Retinol Serum that you apply on a well cleaned face at night. And what it really does, it it just regenerates like your layers of skin. Like you start seeing effects after I think three to four weeks. Um, they usually say you should start using retinol much earlier, so in your twenties, and then when you're crossing over into 30 and your skin is taking a much longer time to rejuvenate and shedding skin layers and, you know, renewing itself, um, you should cross over to a much stronger component called Retin-A. Uh, but you have to go to mm. a doctor to get that prescribed. So that yeah, might be so my I've next step. The Inky List um, Retinol, it's a, it's a fairly affordable brand, um, really nice design, really nice packaging. And it just, um, I love using it. It feels great on my skin. Why don't, why don't you talk about negativity and what, what drove you to wanting to talk about this today? Well, number one, the, um, you know, Teresa version 2.0. I stole that from you. I've been using it since um, you you and I spoke about this before and you said, yeah, I'm calling it Clark 2.0. So I went on and and used that for myself. But Should we explain that a little bit before we... Well, it'll come through, you know, what I'm going to start off with. Um, so I'm, okay. I'll, I'll do the intro to this. So it's, it's been a hectic time, as we said, due to the pandemic. It's been stressful at work. And I recently had somebody around me. They were referring to their in work environment and they said, I'm just, I'm just feeling so grumpy. They were asked, Hey, how are you doing? And they're like, I'm grumpy. I'm just feeling so grumpy. And it bothered me that choice of word, um, so much so that it made me reflect on how I am perceived and how I am dealing with my own feelings around work and life and navigating negativity that I said to myself, well, none of that. Like, first of all, I don't ever want to be caught saying I'm grumpy. Um, And second of all, I don't want to let that get to me. That really got to me when that person said that. It made me, it was a buzzkill, immediately dragged me down. And prior to that, I had felt myself being 
And it's equally a bad term, like feeling stroppy around things and really easily agitated. I had just been repatriated from East Africa and I had to settle in, in sort of a new environment. So it was, it was natural, but I figured, you know what? There is so much I can do internally in how to, how I can respond to things. And I know that sounds like I'm preaching about this and it sounds like a, you know, terrible line from like a self-help self-help book but it is true and ever since then i have really watched out as to what gets to me and what drags me down um i am a person that when there's negativity around me i react to it quite easily like it's almost like my radar really picks up any kind of sadness and negativity and i don't want that it's affecting like i can see how my stress level increases how my my heart rate goes up how i'm feeling just worried and concerned and i i just when that person used the grumpy words. I said, no more of that. I'm going to put my best foot forward. And even with when everything fails, say work doesn't go well, you know, God knows in the future, you know, ever being without a job, you know, financially being unwell, at least on the path there, I have done it on almost like on a high note. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no point of being depressed and negative right now you can work on being cheerful at least yeah yeah. and that's when i spoke to you about this and no we texted about this actually and you said oh yeah you've been working on that yourself and you're calling it clark 2.0 i i truly do believe that negative people and being around negative people does rub off on you and I've made a concerted effort to try to avoid negative people in my life. I, I did another episode, or we the previous episode to this one that I did with Paul, we talked about are assholes born or made? Oh, good one. I need to listen to that. The whole idea that I brought up there was that I've removed most assholes from my life because of the negative effects they have on me. And I believe the opposite is also true, that if you surround yourself with positive people, that they also will rub off on you. And I I want more of that in my life and less of of the negative. So you said you have have detached yourself from some assholes in your life. Do you want to do you want to share some details on that? Is that how have you done that? Have you just let it fade out? Have you cut the ties immediately? Have you told them about it? Or you just vanished from their lives? I guess the fact that we moved here to Japan, by nature, you kind of limit your exposure to people. Um, I would say the re- detachment or, or removal of assholes in my life has probably been something I did quite a while ago. So my my 2.0, which is just really me trying to be a better version of myself and identifying what needs to change from Clark version 1.0 to Clark version 2.0. And certainly surrounding myself with more positive people is part of it. But I would say most of the work I did in terms of like removing negative people from my life, not that I had a lot of negative people. Um, Most of that work's done. I, I guess I can think of one person right now that is probably on the bubble a little bit 
that um, it's a toughie because I, I do enjoy many aspects of that friendship. And I've just, what my, what my strategy has been is if it gets to the negative, I just don't acknowledge it. Like I just mm-hmm. shift it. And sometimes, have you ever heard the term frenemy? Yeah, absolutely. Like I would classify this person as a frenemy in a lot of ways because he could be very, he's a great, he could be a lot of fun to be around, very funny, but then he was also, I would sometimes get these like very direct, like angry sounding comments, like in particular about the job I do, like, oh, you're in sales, it's all a bunch of bullshit, smoke and mirrors, and you know, it was almost got very very um, heavy at times, just the, the vitriol behind some of the words. And I think probably a little bit of drinking and, and that sort of thing was kind of going on. So I guess my rule, I've, I've learned to sort of not take it personally. If he, and he hasn't been like that recently, so maybe he's kind of changed a little bit too. But mm. uh, yeah, no formal sort of cutting of ties or anything like that. I think I just avoid people like that. Um, and I don't have as many people like that in my life as I may have once had. Yeah. It's funny that you'd say that I have exactly one of these bubble or on the bubble um, people around me um, as well. And there is, we lead entirely different lives, right? I'm single. I'm, you know, I don't have a fixed home. I'm traveling the world. I have a bit of an exotic job and lifestyle anyways. Um, and that friend married with kids, you never traveled much beyond, I don't know, a flight to Spain, perhaps or so from, you Mm -hmm. know, within Europe, basically. And there is, we've known each other since high school. And there, it's, it's, it's almost like they, they go through mood swings. Um, I know I, everybody does, but they go through mood swings where it's sometimes like, Oh, I'm, I envy you for your life too. I really don't think you have a, you're really happy. Like, that'll be them telling me, I don't think you're really happy where you're at. And that's why you keep vanishing. That's why you mm. keep traveling so much. You're running away from something. I'm like, what from? Like, you know, there's, there's nothing that, that holds me currently to a specific destination. That's just fine. I'm just trying to get it all in. And, it, it drags me down because I'm so close to that person that I cannot just brush it off. I feel like when they say things to me like, Oh, you're, you're, I don't really think you're happy in the life that you're leading. It makes me wonder like, Oh, well, let me take a moment to think about that. That person knows me so well. Is there some truth to that? And mm. then that, that really makes me spiral and be like, well, should I, you know, be sitting in a house that I call my own with one or two kids and two cars and a dog? And it, it's almost like they're shaming me for my lifestyle. And then I start shaming myself for it. Um, and I have on occasions when it's gotten really because and then I don't know. Next day, I might be picking up the phone. They're like, "Gosh, it's so been so stressful with two kid, two young kids at home. I wish I'd done what you have done and gone out, mm. seen the world, <sighs> all of you know the the freedom, basically." So there's probably envy from their side as well. Um, 
And it, I have come to points where I had so much anger inside me, where I felt I wanted to send them a message saying like, listen, I can't take this no more. It's just impacting me so much. I got to cut the ties. Like There'll be sparks of that thought in yeah. my head. But I know that's, first of all, a very hurtful thing to do. It'd be much nicer to just kind of like let it fade out and you know let them figure it out but at the same time i do i'd miss that person too so it's it's a bit bipolar in a way well that's that's what i so in in the last episode i, I paul and i talked about how i called them get out of a mexican jail friends which are the ones that if you call them at 3 a.m because you've been arrested and, and you need someone to help bail you out or break you out of a Mexican jail or whatever trouble you're in, that they would be the first person to be like speeding towards trying to get you out of trouble. And so sometimes I think there's some friends where, yes, there are some negatives, but the positives outweigh the negatives enough that I know they're good people at heart and have my back. And so I want them in my life. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. So coming back to to the original point, so I am I'm on this mission, and um, I um, I'm quite proud of the I think the progress that I've made um, of steering clear of well you you cannot avoid negative situations they occur but you can decide what they do with you so I have almost like I'm I'm finding better tools of snapping out of it. And so I'm really, really proud of that. And maybe for a future topic, we can go more into, into tools that you can use anything from meditation to, um, apps that, or sort of like ex thought exercises you can go that can guide you onto this, um, onto this mission. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be a good one to explore a bit more. And we can also explore sort of our, our own 2.0s a little bit more on, you know, what it is, like some of the things that we're tackling, you know, around getting from 1.0 to 2.0. I actually recently hired a coach to help me actually with this. And it's been an extremely beneficial part of my life. I've had three sessions, I think now. The ability to have somebody to well, unbiased in a sense, like talking to your friend about some of these topics or or your spouse or partner is very different than actually having a coach because they see you in a different way. They don't have skin in the game in the same way people mm -hmm. you know might have skin in the game. So um, one of the things that my coach said to me was that a lot of the things that, like for me, I've been looking at underlying beliefs what are the underlying beliefs that are inhibiting me from being who i want to be right. and we're we're scratching below the surface as to what that is and one of the things the coaches the coach said to me was most of the underlying beliefs that we form start or became became apparent in or started or originated in childhood like seven eight years of age is a typical age when we started forming the underlying beliefs that hold us back, like things like maybe fear of authority or because you maybe had a nasty teacher or a nasty parent or grandparent or somebody in your life. And so we're working on kind of peeling back some of the stuff that I think is related to 
underlying beliefs that I currently hold, um, particular, particularly going back to my schooling when I was in elementary school, like grade two, grade three, I have some, you know, pretty not not disturbing, but well, I don't think teachers. I hope teachers aren't doing the same types of things that I had teachers doing to me, mostly just around like shaming and Mm -hmm. making you feel inferior in front of your classmates and stuff like that, that I think links to a few things that I'm trying to tackle right now about myself and make myself a better. That is definitely something um, we need to explore. And I do remember I had sent you some texts around the inner child and the different, you know, personas, um, technical analysis it was called basically there's three personas out of which you treat a certain situation one being the child one being the adult and one being um, another one Um, so yeah I'd love to do an episode on that because especially talking about people of authority and that forming people of authority in your childhood and that forming who are you now I've been thinking about that most recently and it comes, it boils down to two or three um, females in my life whilst I was growing up. And interestingly, they're not, there's three in my mind and they're not even related to me. So, um, yeah, let's put a pin in that and let's take it I down like for a, yeah. Okay, on to strange, weird news. And I did say in the beginning we were going to avoid coronavirus, but... It's hard to, and this is a story related to coronavirus, in particular, a situation in Sweden. So the headline is, Coronavirus, Sweden's Smelly Solution to Stop Beer-Fueled Festival in Park. (laughs) Okay. So there's a park in Sweden. It's called Stads Park. Authorities in Lund. Just means city park, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Authorities in Lund, this is, I guess, Lund is a place in Sweden, 30,000 people have gathered in the Stad Park in recent years to celebrate the spring festival Valborg. And here's, the, here's what they're doing. So a Swedish city is spreading a ton of chicken manure in a park to discourage people from gathering for a festival. Authorities in Lund say 30,000 people have gathered in the Stads Park in recent years to celebrate the spring festival. Most of these people are students, but some people travel to the southern city from different parts of the country. So in order to prevent people from going into the park, they've been spreading around this um, chicken manure. And that's of such horrible stench that people would just stay away. Yeah, it says sitting at Valborg in a park that stinks of chicken manure and where it makes noise. Oh, they also, um, oh, it was a person on Facebook posted, sitting at Valborg in a park that stinks of chicken manure and where it makes noise with leaf blowing and other things is not a pleasant experience. (laughs) So this is just to keep people from gathering in this park, um, I guess, amid the coronavirus. And they, but they say there's also a benefit that the manure is good for the lawn. It contains a lot of phosphorus and nitrogen, so that we have a really nice city park for the summer season, which we're not going to be using really. Or well, I guess they can still use it. They just want to prevent that gathering at that special occasion. So sounds good to me. And um, we all know that Sweden has been, I don't know, can you say 
ahead of the curve or behind the curve. I think they still haven't quite figured it out whether mm-hmm. they did it right. That's it still remains to be seen, especially from like an well, the economic impact hasn't been as bad, but then from a health perspective, I still think they're trying to figure it all out, whether they went the right way. But that's interesting. Um, right. I don't know what chicken manure smells like, but if it really has the power to keep so many people away. I imagine if it were horse manure, um, I, I like the smell of horse and I don't mind the smell of horse manure. In fact, it's just beautiful memories and I just love mm. that smell. I also love the smell of sheep manure. <laughs> How? <laughs> So um, I can only imagine chicken manure must be quite bad, which is interesting given that I actually, I have pet chickens. So I don't know. What's funny, um, I read something this morning and I was, look, you're so good at coming up with these stories. I had given it a try of coming up with a funny story, but I just think my radar isn't really good for these stories. But I had come across one that said that scientists had recently, well, they had almost gone nuts. They had been working with a colony of penguins and penguin um manure is used is it's what call referred to as guano and guano is a very powerful fertilizer that's used globally for well for agriculture and there was just so much that the researchers the scientists who were working on that colony they had fallen ill some of them had passed out stumbled over so it had um because it had whatever the chemical was nitrogen whatever yeah. it was that that made them behave really weird and almost come stumbled over. I actually did see that article in my <laughs> search for this one about the chicken manure. I didn't read too much detail other than, yeah, that these scientists had, had passed out and been badly affected. I didn't even, I don't even think I read that it was their manure that was causing it. So yeah, I did see that story. That's interesting. All right. Well, I think that's uh, kind of time to wrap up. Thanks Good. again for coming on the show and uh, look forward to doing this again. Absolutely. Same here, Clark. I'm um, looking forward to speaking to you soon. <laughs>